Well, good morning to you. My name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, we've been in a series on Joseph and out of the book of Genesis. We're continuing that today, so we're really glad that you're here. And today we're talking about forgiveness, and forgiveness has uh, been a big part of my story. I learned early on on the basketball court as a punk kid that loved to play that my words can actually hurt people. And going deeper in relationship with those around me, I learned that I can't just say whatever I want and run my mouth and then just say, oh, sorry, and then everything's good again. But that there's ramifications, I learned very quickly, to words and to actions and that they hurt people. And I also learned that through a lot of the things that I've experienced, I've had some rough things done to me in my past, and many of you in this room maybe feel the same way. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with trying to move beyond just a stopped relationship? How does that take place? And I believe that God has some things to speak to us today. And my prayer for you sincerely all week has been that this passage would reawaken your heart to what's possible and what he desires to do in the relationships that you're in and even in your relationship with himself. And so I just want you to be captivated and believe that God wants that for you, not in a process or, hey, do these three or four steps and then your relationships will be better, but in a God that has an ability to restore, that our focus would be drawn into that today in our passage. And so just to catch us up a little uh context here is there was a famine and over the last couple of sermons that we've experienced in this passage we've seen there's a famine and people are scrambling they're out of food what do we do how do we solve for that and joseph's father jacob had sent his brothers uh, to see jacob now who is in egypt and they're seeking food so they came and they got food from him the first time and now they have run out of food once again and so last week we saw in the first part of chapter 43 that they're trying to figure out what to do how do we handle this what are we going to do about it and it's a really good family discussion as we have all had family discussions family chats before and so they're scrambling to figure out what to do as one of their brothers simeon had to be left in order for them to be able to take the grain the first time and go back home and be able to have food, they had to leave Simeon in exchange for the food. And then they were told, hey, if you're going to come back, you need to bring your little brother with you. Benjamin would have to come back with you. So they're really wrestling with this as a family. What are we supposed to do? We've got to go get Simeon, but how is this going to play out? And so that catches us up to where we are today. We join the narrative with them having decided, as we saw last week, hey, we're going to go. We're going to take double the money this time. We're going to take some goodies with us and little brother Ben, and off we go. And so just here as we go through, this is a really deeply relational passage today. And so hear that as we go through, I believe God means to soften our hearts and we see mercy and faith and a softening in relationship. And so I invite you to grab your Bibles with me and and turn to Genesis 43 and we'll be in verses 15 through 34. And the title of today's message is the roots of forgiveness, that forgiveness really is possible. And we're seeing the roots form out of this passage today. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, I invite you to grab the one in the seat back in front of you. And if you love technology, then we are a place for you in that way as well. We put a lot of effort every week into building out a sermon outline for you that you can avail yourself of on the Ridgewood Church app. And so just click media sermon notes and then today's date and you can track along with the points and even take notes in there as well so um, a little bit lengthier passage today but i think it's helpful for us to see it all uh, in one swing and then we'll go back through and um, look at it together here so let me read it to us starting in verse 15 of chapter 43 it says so the men took this present 
and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the manor to dine with me at noon. The man did just as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, Is it because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that they brought us in so that he might assault us and fall upon us and make, our, make us servants and seize our donkeys? I love that they're really concerned about their donkeys in this moment. Verse 19, So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and we came to the lodging place. We opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of their sack, in money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know... Who put the money in our sacks? And the steward replied, he said, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man brought the men into Joseph's house and had given them water and they had washed their feet and he had given their donkey's fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. Verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house, uh, into the house to him the present which they had with them and bowed down to him on the ground. And he inquired about their wealth, welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, it is your youngest is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for it was an abomination to the Egyptians." And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, so in order of age. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. This is God's word to us today. A little bit of a long passage there, but let's go through it together. And the first thing that we see in verses 15 through 18 is that the weight of fear in relationships drags us down. And we saw that a lot last week, that the fear that is present, that we're meant to be able to overcome it, but it weighs us down. And Joseph had been testing his brothers, and he asked for Benjamin to be brought back, and so they did that just as he instructed. And at first glance, you might say, oh, look at the courage that they had to come back and do the things that he asked them to. But ultimately, they really are incredibly scared. And there's a mix of emotions for the brothers because they had to figure out, hey, how are we going to get Brother Simeon back into the mix with us? And ultimately, they're just straight up out of food as well. So they had to do something. They were provoked to do something. So fearfully but intentionally, they follow the rules and did as Joseph instructed. And the brothers, it's striking to me, it wasn't just them that had a mix of emotions, but Joseph was dealing with his own variety pack of emotions as this is unfolding. God had given Joseph power, as we've seen as we've gone through this passage together, and he used that for good, the good of a nation. And God gave him wisdom and shrewdness. 
and generosity. He knew that in the dream that was shared with him that there was going to be seven years of famine. And so he prepared for that with the seven years of plenty. God used him to bring about that change to even allow there to be food there. But now he's in a tough place. And consider the very people that had wronged him and sold him into insane circumstances, incredibly difficult circumstances. He's face to face with them again and sitting across with them. Joseph invites the crew to dine with him in his house for a big lunch, and they they were able to do that simply because of Benjamin. We're made to see really clearly in the passage here that the kindness they experienced all hinged on Benjamin being present with them. Being invited into an Egyptian ruler's house was a really big deal. To be shown hospitality would have been an unheard of thing, and so they're receiving uh, that as putting them into panic mode, like, hey, this isn't supposed to happen. I think something bad is going to be the result of this. And that's what we see in the passage. They're really worried and they feel guilty and stuck and they're freaking out because they know, hey, we did all these things and now we may be guilty for the whole money exchange deal. How does that play out? Striking to think if you ever wondered and noticed the ravaging effects of fear and guilt and shame on your soul, that it weighs you down. And it pulls us down when we are struggling in those kinds of ways. And that it's exhausting. It's hard to carry. And especially year after year of things that we're left being shown in the wrong for. And we've stacked up offenses against other people. What do we do with that? It weighs us down. How do we move forward from there? And maybe conversely, some of us in the room have had such atrocious things done to us that somehow in the twisting of our enemy, the devil, we're left thinking that the thing done to us is actually something that we're stuck holding the bill for. So how do we respond to that? How do we move out of that? And that's what the brothers are trying to figure out is how can we move out of this scary and sticky situation And we see next is their attempt to handle it in verses 19 through 22. And the next thing there is that favor in relationship is sought for personal benefit. And so they're trying to go, hey, how do we solve for this situation? What do we need to do to make it right? And they get all hurried and and anxious over how do I try to make this right? What do I need to do? And in my own strength, try to solve that. And that's our own thing, too. We try to do that oftentimes in our own strength. And God means for us to lean into him, and it's in his power that we move forward. And so they're ready to not only pay for what they owed the first time, but they're saying, hey, I also brought all this other money, and we've got gifts and everything as well. And how many times do we try to manufacture circumstances and control outcomes to just be able to minimize the damage that we've done in relationship and seek to control things and try to win approval? And this isn't the first time in their family lineage that their father Jacob had gotten his way and sought to earn the, the ultimate approval of his father Isaac by, by selling his brother or by getting his brother to sell him his birthright, to give it to him for a perfectly timed and very manipulative gift. So this is a family trait that's taking place. And it happened when he got the ultimate approval of the birthright from his father Isaac. So what about you in relationships is posturing and posing to try to win somebody's approval something that, that you struggle with? Is it a trap for you? And I believe there tends to be three types of people when it comes to approval. And so just listen for the one that you might be and where you feel like you stand today. The first would be approval junkies. And we'll do anything it takes to be seen as right. And whatever we can do to be liked, to be appreciated, to come out on top, to be seen as great, we would do anything. Whatever it takes to do that, we're so caught up in trying to win people's approval. 
Maybe you are the opposite of that, which would be an approval flunky in the sense that, hey, I don't want to to get bogged down with having to put up with people's perceptions of me. And so I'm going to keep people at such an arm's length and I'm going to scrape against them. I'm going to rub against them and keep them away from me because I don't need that kind of thing. And we end up alienating people and we end up holding people back at arm's length and never receiving the relationship that we really could have because we don't want to deal with other people's approval. The third thing would be that we have a wrestle or a settled identity and that we're not wrestling with who we are, but instead we're believing in who God made us to be. And so the cross of Christ is our ultimate justifier. And we rest in the fact that we're a child of God. And yes, we want to love God and love others to the best of our ability, but we are resting ultimately in the fact that we're a child of God and that that's enough for us. And that's what God means for us to have, that we're not seeking to always win approval, but we're resting in the approval that we're given in Christ. So just ask you, have you let other people's perceptions of you and the feelings that they have about you take you over and weigh you down? Could you experience healing? And what would that look like for you to be able to let go of that? The third thing we see as we continue to journey through the passage is in verse 23 through 26, that kindness brings progress where division is present, that kindness brings progress where division is present. And so what's the starting place for progress? There has been a lot of things that have happened in this situation. So how do we begin to move forward and what is God doing? What work is he doing to bring them forward? And I'm struck that many times we pursue being right and being heard over posturing ourselves and beginning with kindness. And the thing that makes me most concerned, uh, both in myself and ultimately with a lot of people in Christianity, is that on social media and in other places, the, the main thing we want to get across is that we're right. And you've got to hear the message that I have. You have to understand that I'm right and this is truth. But it's amazing. Jesus gave us ultimate truths and great truths to pass on to other people. But he did that by beginning with kindness. And love. It's his kindness, the scriptures say, that lead us to repentance. And so that's what we see is beginning to happen here. We could sit and name example after example of how front-end kindness brings resolution to things. And that's what we see. Joseph Stewart reveals that he's saying, hey, look, the kindness that you're receiving isn't the result of you, but it's really the result of God, your father. And how interesting is it that an Egyptian is saying that to these Israelites? And so that would have gotten their attention that the blessing and the kindness they're receiving here is the result of the God of their father. So peace begins to enter in and continues over them in wave after wave as Simeon is brought in. And then they're shown hospitality and kindness in a way that is arresting to them. Even their animals are fed. It's just evidence that peace is coming in and kindness is being shown to them. It's striking, too, that when Joseph comes in and they present him with the gifts, that they bow themselves before him. And what an incredible moment in relationship for them. And they have yet to understand and recognize Joseph because it had been years and years ago when he was sold by them into slavery. So he's the only one that that understands the situation fully. But what a colossal moment to say, wow, the dream that God had put in my heart and I came and shared before all of you, even naively in one sense, but I shared it before all of you that resulted in all the pain that I experienced. Now it's coming true and he's feeling that at an incredible level. And what an amazing moment for Joseph. Just emotional fireworks 
fireworks going off in him, that all of the pain, the imprisonment, the sleepless nights that he experienced, the shame and the confusion and discouragement, God's beginning to show him that he wasn't off his rocker this whole time, that this was revealed and the dream was coming true, and that God has been in it all along. Do you know that God is with you and that he's in the circumstances of your life as well? All this generosity and kindness is bringing about something in the brothers, but it's shifting something greatly in Joseph as well. And the door of reconciliation is beginning to crack open, we see here in the passage. The last thing that we see in verses 27 through 34 now is the progression into a softened heart makes way for true reconciliation. It's just a beautiful moment for Joseph to relate to his family. And he just says, hey, how is dad doing? That's ultimately what he's saying. How's dad doing? And then to be able to see his brother, Benjamin, who was uh, Rachel and Joseph shared their mother. uh, Rachel, excuse me, was the mother of Benjamin and Joseph. The other brothers, if you're not familiar with the story, were uh, from Jacob and Leah's relationship. And so for Joseph and Benjamin to have this special moment together really sticks out and it was the purest reminder for joseph in that moment of what was and a lot of us look back in our relationships and remember things that used to be and we don't believe and have hope for what god could still do in the future this was a fresh awakening for joseph to be reminded of what was and what could be and his words to joseph or to benjamin are incredible And he basically, the words that he says are akin to the great Hebrew blessings of Psalm 67 and number 6, where it says, May God be gracious to you, make his face to shine on you. He says to him, God be gracious to you, my son. And it just stirs something up in him so intensely that he just goes to tears and has to run out of the room. His heart is being warmed up. And for some of us in the relationships and the struggle and the challenge that we've experienced, we need to allow ourselves to feel warm again to somebody. And in the struggle of relationship, things have happened and stacked offense after offense after offense. And we even, oftentimes the Lord provides opportunities for us to feel something again and to have warmth again towards the other person. But we have built up such a wall in front of us that we don't allow ourselves to. It's amazing that God comes in and allows that warmth to happen in his heart and he's able to feel it. And it produces a great result. Would you allow that to happen in your own relationships, even now, even today? I think about the love of a brother. My uh, brother, Jonathan, uh, is eight years older than me. And he has never, ever treated me like a, hey, one day you'll be as big as me and you'll get to do the great things that I'm doing. He's always treated me as an equal. He lived out a devotional life and taught me what it means to live a life of faith in Christ. When he played varsity basketball in high school, he would invite me to come play in the afternoons. And I was the only 11-year-old kid out there. And I was able to perfect an outside shot because I was a foot and a half shorter than everybody else. He always included me. He taught me and he shared his life with me. When I struggled the most in my times of anxiety and depression, I was in and out of the hospital struggling through that. He was there for me. He would come and sleep in my room next to me and comfort me. And I just think about the warmth of a brother, and maybe you think about the warmth of relationships that you've experienced, that God uses those things to soften our hearts and to change us. By all accounts, Joseph has absolutely every right to be extraordinarily angry. And I believe the passage doesn't hold that back from us, that he really is incredibly angry. He's dealing with a lot of emotions there. 
And he could have done whatever he wanted to to eliminate his brothers, imprison them, kill them, whatever he wanted to. His position of influence was such that no one would have ever known. But mercy from Joseph in principle by just welcoming them in did more than just bless his brothers, but it produced a result in him as well. And we see that the door is now swinging open for forgiveness and reconciliation to take place. The roots of forgiveness really are beginning to grow. And it's possible in the relationships that God's given us for that to happen as well. Think about desert ground. Many of you have been to Arizona or different places where it is just incredibly dry and the the soil itself is just cracked and hard and no growth happens where hard ground is present. It produces no growth. And then compare that to the soil of a place like Iowa where I just was visiting family over the holidays in soil that's been cultivated for centuries, nutrients added, watered well, pulling all the weeds out, getting all the rocks out, resting the land at appropriate times so that things can truly grow in a way that's astounding. And I was struck even today, uh, our community group's going through the Gospel of Mark together. And so Mark 4 was where I was reading again today. And it talks about the soils. And Jesus said, hey, if you're, the soil of your heart is hardened, when seed gets scattered, it's not going to grow. But a heart that's been cultivated and a heart that's soft will produce fruit. And that's what God means for us to do. The way we interact with other people in relationships really does speak to the fruit that will come out of our life. It matters. Joseph's heart is softened here, and the roots of forgiveness aren't just possible, but they really are starting to grow. So I would just ask you, what's the current state of your heart? If you think about the relationships that you're in, if I were to sit across from you and say, where might there be division in relationship for you? What immediately comes to mind? And may I submit to you that maybe that's the place that God means uh, for you to start and to lean into his power and for his purpose and what he desires to do. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 say this. It'll be on the screen here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. But instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Apostle Paul is saying all these things are going to get stirred up in us and we're going to feel like we can hold these things because of the emotions they produce in us. We're going to hold them over other people. And it's so much easier to just want to cling tight to the bitterness and hold on to the anger. And we love to slander people and we want to talk about it with 58 other people. Can you believe what these people did? But Paul's saying, no, put that aside and let tenderness and kindness be what rules in your heart. And because of what God in Christ did in forgiving you, you have the ability to forgive one another. That's the call that the scriptures ask us for. And that's what God is teaching us. There's a progression that takes place in our narrative today that's really striking to me. And it comes from the Lord. It's not just this three-step process, as I said, that this will deliver on better relationships. But really, this is a work that God is doing, that he's the one that's bringing about the beginning stages of reconciliation and making that possible for us. And it was striking to me just where our passage ends today in the transition of where we're headed next is that it just ends right at the tip of reconciliation beginning to happen. And I was really moved to think that that is something that God wants us to pay attention to today. That we so many times want to look all the way to the complete reconciliation. We're not going to enter into trying to forgive or trying to walk with somebody unless they're going to go all the way with us. And we want to even try to control that. And so I'm not going to put myself out there because they're just going to trample me back. 
And it's striking to me that this passage just stops with us today taking the first step and we see the door opening for reconciliation to be possible. And I just would submit to you that that's what God means for us to have today, that we would take the first step that he desires. His entire work in sending Jesus was to bring the ultimate reconciliation that he sent Christ to measure up in all the ways that we couldn't so that we would have relationship with God and we would be reconciled to him. And he means for that to take place, that we would be agents of reconciliation ourselves to bring about love and unity with people around us. And I love Colossians 1. 13 through 14, it says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Chad alluded to earlier the young man that gave his life to the Lord this week, and I'm just so struck that as I got to share the gospel with him and sit across from him, that the Lord was the one that was bringing this all about in his life. The circumstances, the challenges, everything that he had experienced, God was transferring him from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. What a beautiful thing that God needs to do reconciliation in our life that's complete and ultimate and total for us. And I don't know if you have a relationship with God like that, but I would just encourage you that it's possible for you. And you might have had a hardened heart towards the Lord for years and years, or you might have uh, believed maybe one other time in your life earlier, and then you've had so many things that have taken place. Let me just encourage you that reconciliation is possible, and God moves you from a destiny that is total darkness to something that is incredible, and that eternal life can begin for you today in that, that it's possible. So I would just invite you to bow your heads and let's just consider what the Lord might be saying to us today. So let's just sit quietly and as you think about your relationship with God and you think about your relationship with others, what would be the first step that he would have you take and just allow him to reveal that to you. The scriptures say that if we're his followers, that we hear his voice. And so let's just sit quietly for a minute or two and allow the Lord to speak to us. God, would you give us great courage to lean in to relationship and whatever that looks like, Lord. Ultimately, we want to respond to your voice in our life and to your word. And so work great changes into us, we pray, Lord. And just give us um, the ability to take that step forward. In Jesus' name, amen.